Well, hello. Welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California. Each week, we are talking about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. I am Jeff Bruce, one of the pastors here. I'm joined by my dad. He's another pastor here. Dad, happy 2021. How are you today? I am so happy. You're so happy. Happy to be here because it's a happy year. That's the go. <laughs> Dad, do you do you make New Year's resolutions? Uh, no longer. I made a res- resolution not to make resolutions. You've kept it though. Yeah, I've kept it. You've made it a habit. Yes. That's yes. what this show is about. I feel like we should call this show "Hiatus Helps" because we take <laughs> hiatuses, hiati. I'm not sure what the plural is on that. But in any case, it's a new year. We are back at it. Good to be back with you, Dad. And we're going to continue our discussion on the habits of a disciple maker the habits of a disciple-maker. A Christian is a disciple. So what is a disciple? Well, the New Testament offers us a few different definitions of the word. A disciple is a follower of Jesus, which means they're in this tight relationship with him. A disciple is a student of Jesus, which means they are learning to think like Jesus thinks and and do what he does. And a a disciple is an apprentice of Jesus, which means they're being trained to do what he does in the world. Jesus spent his earthly ministry making disciples. So if you are a Christian and you are a disciple, that means you are with Jesus. You are learning to think like he thinks, ultimately, so you can do what he does. You're following, you're learning, you're apprenticing to Jesus. And that, Dad, is why every Christian should become a disciple maker, because Jesus was a disciple maker. So if you're becoming like Jesus— it doesn't just mean that you are becoming more loving, patient, kind, etc. All that is true, but it's also true that you are becoming a disciple-maker. You're following Jesus in his mission to the world. And that's why we're talking about disciple-making, and specifically the habits, the basic practices of making disciples. And to do that, as we've said, we're using Robert Coleman's classic book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, because it helps to demystify what it means to make a disciple. Coleman shows us how Jesus made disciples, and that gives us our roadmap, as we learn from the Master, how we make disciples. So today we've looked at a bunch of habits, selection, association, consecration, impartation, which we're still not sure what that means, demonstration, delegation, uh, defenestration, the act of throwing a disciple (laughs) through a window. It's, It's a joke. But today we'll talk about supervision, supervision. Jesus gave his disciples tasks and responsibilities, but then, as Coleman says, he kept check on them. Dad, initial thoughts on the importance of supervision when we're making disciples? Yeah, it's a a good point. I'm glad that Coleman points that out because it is clearly fills the Gospels. Jesus is always doing it. Um, he, He is constantly watching the actions and reactions of his disciples. He doesn't just give them assignments, but he follows up on how those assignments went. Uh, When the disciples were given assignment, they were expected to report back and share their experiences with Jesus and with the other disciples, and Jesus would review what they did right, what went wrong, and the lessons they could learn from them. And, And so it's very clear that Jesus saw supervising and following up on what his disciples did as as key to their mm-hmm. training. Uh, I guess my question is, why do you think that we today neglect 
to that aspect of disciple making? Yeah. Well, because it's hard, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think supervision implies an accountability relationship where we're going to follow up and see how things went. And, and to see how things went, uh, someone has to be willing to open themselves to feedback uh, and at some level to constructive criticism and correction. And I think for your average Christian thinking about helping someone grow in Jesus, um, that could feel a little prideful to assume that role, that I'm going to tell this person what to do or how to do it. Who am I to do that? I thought we were kind of just shoulder to shoulder in this thing and helping yeah. each other grow. I don't really want to do that. Um, or uh, we might worry that we're going to injure a relationship if we're, we're kind of in a training relationship with someone and we give them a tip on how to lead a Bible study better or do something. I think there's a fear that the relationship itself will be damaged if the person is offended by what we say or disagrees with it. So that's my sense. What do you think? I, I agree completely. Um, I, I think that th- what I've observed is that when I don't ask anything, of the, of the men I'm training, the relationship, I ju- and I just settle mm-hmm. for whatever they're willing to do, it gets very boring. And uh, it just, it, it just mean together becomes, you know, nothing special. But when I set a standard and, and hold them to it as hard as, as it is, and they see themselves having to push themselves, boy, it, it, it they get excited because they see their, themselves advancing. Um, and it just, it makes all the difference in the world. It's one thing to say, let's study, um, this chapter next week. And once you bring me, uh, the observations you made and what you think the big idea of the passage is, Mm -hmm. and they show up and I just didn't get to it. Um, then we have to have a serious uh, talk about, well, are we, are we committed to learning to say the Bible or not? As opposed to just, oh, maybe you can get to it next week. It makes all the difference in the world. So I, I think that accountability is what really gives energy and direction rather than uh, kind of a burden to the relationship. Yeah, in a sense, it's defining the relationship and, and giving clarity. And, and I would say it's really hard to have any kind of meaningful relationship with a person where you want to grow, where you don't set those standards and, and those expectations from the very beginning. Yeah. And, and that's just a, a principle across the board um, yeah. of life. I mean, you look at the way that a recovery group is structured, <laughs> um, an AA group or a 12-step group, there's very clear expectations for every single person coming into the group. And yet the people in that group would say those are some of the most intimate, organic relationships they have. Yeah. But it's those parameters of expectation um, and then accountability to when you deviate from them yeah. that create the the meaningful relationship. That's good. Yeah. So supervision, is all that to say, supervision is good. It's necessary. It is good for the disciple maker. It is good for the disciple. It is, it, uh, it, it is, it is why Jesus did it. How did Jesus do it? What do you see in his ministry? Well, um, the thing that I, I see is that he would use all kinds of, of situations um, to see if his disciples really understood what he taught them. He just, he never assumed they understood. He would put them in situations um, and then get feedback. And so he sends them out to cast out demons. And when they're unable to cast out a demon and they say, well, why couldn't we cast that one out? You know, and he says, well, 
because of your un- because of the littleness of your faith. Mm-hmm. For if you have faith the size of a, a mustard seed, you shall say this mountain be taken up and moved in the sea. And it's not the size of your faith, it's whether you use it or not. And another time he says this kind only comes out with prayer. Obviously they, they're more interested in ministering than praying. And uh, But anyway, there's, there's a constant shaping because as he gives them feedback in terms of how they did, they learn. I, I think of when uh, uh, James and John uh, come and uh, and say, you know, we're, we're trying to cast down fire on the cities of the Samaritans because they wouldn't open up the doors to Jesus and the disciples. Jesus rebukes them. He says, "You don't know what you don't you don't know what spirit you're of here." Mm-hmm. Um, when the disciples try to stop another guy who's not part of their group from doing miracles in Jesus' name, Jesus says, "Stop it!" Because who he was not with us is. It, he was not against us as for us. And so there's just a constant feedback loop about everything they say and do uh, because he's only got three years to get these guys ready to lead a, a worldwide movement. Yeah, I, I love that sense. And it gets back to association that as he's with them, there, there's a constant feedback loop uh, about here's how it's going. Here's what we're learning. Yeah. Here's, here's the takeaway from this. I, I think an important point here is that when I hear the word supervision, I think it has connotations of middle management. Yeah. We think of a boss coming to make sure you're in line. Yeah. And that's not what Jesus does. He he really is with them and he's clearly for them in the ministry as well. It's, it's more of a coaching relationship than a managing relationship. And, and one thing I'd want to point out about that, and then I'll let you give your thoughts, is, is that he spends time rejoicing as part of his supervision. Yeah. That he celebrates their wins with them. And I think you see that in Luke when they come back. And it says that Jesus rejoices when he hears about the impact of their ministry. Yeah. And so all of that is to say that celebration, affirmation, encouragement, rejoicing in the wins of the person are a huge part of why supervision is important. Yeah. And that kind of feedback, um, what gets rewarded gets repeated. That's right. <laughs> right. That That's yeah. just as important as this kind of accountability and yeah. making sure you hold the line on things. And yeah. so those have to go together. And it gets back to um, growth relationships are both affirmation and challenge, right? It's yeah. always affirmation, challenge, affirmation, challenge. But but your thoughts on that? No, I, I think those are great insights. I, the thing that I thought, too, in addition to that, is Jesus' focus is not so much on getting the job done and how did you do the job. Did you fulfill your responsibilities? Like a lot of supervision we experience in other arenas is... Did you check the boxes? Right. But it's more of what kind of person are you becoming? And and that he is, he is, de- he is using these responsibilities to develop these men... In, into disciple makers themselves and to men he can entrust this his whole enterprise when he returns to heaven. Mm. So I think that makes all the difference that the job is not did you complete this assignment? Did you complete this? Did you did you check all the boxes as you said? But really what kind of person are you becoming? Are you becoming more consistent, more faithful, a better student, a better a better witness? Um, all those things. Yeah. So how did you show up in the situation versus did you check each box of the things we said? Here's the formula for success here. That's not how Jesus no. teaches. And what I love about Jesus is how persistent he is in supervising. I think often we can lose focus with people. Yeah. 
that, that we don't really follow through to the end to see them grow right in an area. Yeah. But with Jesus, he will just keep coming back to the same lesson over yeah. and over again until the disciples get it. Uh, I think of the feeding of the 5,000, and then there's the feeding of the 4,000. And in each of these instances, my sense is Jesus is really trying to teach them, I will provide what you need for ministry. I will provide what you need for ministry. Just move out in faith, and I will provide. Yeah. And then, of course, they get in the boat, and in Matthew 16, after these things happen, what are they arguing about? <laughs> Where will we get bread? Yeah, yeah. Even after Jesus has miraculously provided bread, and, and he goes right back to the, the point, did you not learn the lesson that I'm trying to teach you here? Yeah. And I think so often we can get so distracted by all the things we could teach our disciples that we don't have the persistence to follow through and say, hey, are you making progress in trusting Jesus in this area of your life? And, and coming back to that tenaciously. Right. Because uh, that's often what we need. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have made that mistake so many times that I have, I have mistaken agreement for mastery. In mm. other words, I will, I will explain a lesson, and, and I think because a person understands the lesson, and agrees with the lesson. Well, we've completed that one. Let's move right. on to the next one. So you have this, you, you this feeling that you've got to be this this never ending, you know, storehouse of new knowledge. To have. Rather, but Jesus didn't do that. Jesus focused more on have you. I I I know you understand it. I know you saw the miracle. I know you you get. But is it affecting the way you live your life? Are you are you living like someone who believes I provide? Right. Um, are, are, are are you living by faith? in the God that I've taught you about. Right. Yeah. So I think I think to not mistake just because somebody agrees with what you say or compliments on what on the great lesson you you just taught them or anything like that, that they that they've really mastered it themselves. They've applied it themselves. And to me, to supervise that way you really need humility. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the the discipleship relationship is not about you. Mm-hmm. It's about their growth. And and so it's easy to settle for, man, I just so appreciate that we meet together. I'm so helped by this, all of those things. That's great. Is this helpful to you? Are you getting traction in these areas of your life? Yeah. And if not, what do we need to change yeah. to see that happen? Rather than settling for, boy, they really seem to like me and enjoy being right. with me. It's not about that. Yeah. It's not about you. It's about their conformity to Christ. Yeah. Exactly, and I think it's so easy as as disciple makers to to believe in <clears throat> talk therapy that somehow just talking about these things is going to change somebody's life. Right? Um, it, it doesn't. They they need you need the truth to act on it, but it's far more than simply hearing a truth and agreeing with the truth. Um, boy, you know the, the the rocky I think the rocky soil. You know, they receive the word with joy. They, mm-hmm. they like what they hear, but, you know, then as soon as affliction arises, there's no application at all. Right. You know, and they fall away. Yeah. Yeah, and I think one really practical takeaway there, for instance, if you're leading a Bible study, and we've talked about this before, but this is why you don't shortchange application in the yeah. Bible study yeah. to say, okay, if I believe this, how will I act? Okay, what change do I need to make? And, and here's where supervision comes in. Yeah. And it's a really simple step. The next week, how did it go? Ask them, okay, we, we, we said this is an area that I want to focus on. What did it look like for you to focus on? Yeah. And if the answer is, oh, well, I forgot it, that becomes a teachable moment because now 
Maybe it's let's not jump in to more Bible study. Let's talk about why we're failing to get traction in this area. Right, right. What other promises of God do we need to know? What other strategies do we, we need? Let's focus on that until we get traction there, yeah. instead of just jumping on to more unapplied knowledge. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a uh, practical illustration of that, I think, is, is I, I will talk to community group leaders mm-hmm. who will complain that, that their, the attendance is very spotty in their mm-hmm. group. And I'll ask them, well, have you called the people they don't, when they don't come, do you call, give them a call right. and find out why they weren't there and just tell them you miss them and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. And, and, and nine times out of 10, they say, no, I don't really yeah. do that. And they find that when people, when they start consistently calling people and saying you were missed, for some strange reason, the attendance improves. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, and it's a way of valuing the person. You matter to us. Yeah. And, and we feel the loss when you're not there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's good. So, you know, the the translation to, to now, I feel like the challenge is always, okay, that's Jesus, and Jesus seems to have this master plan, right? And often I don't feel like I have a master plan when I'm discipling someone. We're, right. we're just working on different issues. We've already hinted at some of these, but in terms of helping supervise someone you're discipling, what are some little things we can do? to help build in greater supervision into the relationship? It's a good question. I, I think you've got to have a template that you you use um, that identifies kind of here are the priority items that I always want to ask about. Mm-hmm. And and I would just, we define a disciple, uh, Jesus defines a disciple as a person who abides in his word. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to add, I always want to find out what's this person doing in the scriptures? Yeah. What are they learning? What are they what are they memorizing? What are they applying? Right. Uh, a disciple is someone who loves other disciples. Yeah. And so, what's going on in your relate? How you know? Are you taking time to with other disciples? How? Where's your fellowship at? What are you doing? Like a, a disciple is a person who makes other disciples who bears fruit. So, so who are you pouring into? Tell me about, especially about the unbelievers in your life. Who are you talking to right now? Who are you building a relationship with? Yeah. Who are you looking for ways to share the gospel? If if we aim at nothing, you know, we'll hit it. So, Every time. so I think I think having just three, two or three non-negotiables, that this is the thing we're working on right now. We can't focus on everything. So just having a few things you're focusing on and keep coming back to those things. Yeah, I love that. And I think really practically now, okay, you're in a community group. Maybe you're leading it. You have someone that you want to invest in. Maybe you're meeting with them a couple times a month yeah. to just get together. That template is, I think, as close as we can get to a, to the template Jesus really gives us for what to focus on. Yeah. And the reason for that, we're in the Gospel of John, it's so helpful to just look at what Jesus says about the marks of a true disciple. What is the evidence that someone is really following Jesus? John 8, 31 to 32, um, is that they abide in his word, and so prove that they're his disciples, right? You are truly my disciple if you continue in my word. So deeper in the word. Um, John 13, 34 to 35, your love one another um, is how people know you're my disciples. So committed relationships of love to other Christians, how are they doing there? And then John 15, 8, where Jesus says um, that by bearing fruit, you so prove to be my disciples. And there it's spiritual reproduction out in the world. So right. loving the lost, right. um, seeing the lost come to know and grow right. in Jesus. And so those are really the three diagnostics of health for a Christian. If you're doing a checkup on someone's spiritual health, 
It's their communion with Jesus through the word and prayer. It's their sacrificial love for other believers. It's their engagement with lost people. Yeah. And, And it's just so helpful to have those pegs and to know these are actually things Jesus says are the marks of a disciple. Right. And then here's the challenge. You don't let up on those things. Yeah. You keep going back to those things until they become true in the person's yeah. life. Yeah. And you're always thinking, what is your next growth step in these areas? And yeah. so I really like that because otherwise discipleship becomes this array of skills and habits and this wildly diverse set of um, techniques someone needs in order to disciple someone. And that makes it so complicated that no one's going to try to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Plus the, we're not moving the ball down the, down the field. Right. We're not, we're not making disciples who make disciples. Yeah. And these are kind of the key, the key skills, the key masteries that we have to master in order to make other disciples. Right. Because Jesus said, this is what a disciple is. Right. Yeah. And so if you're not doing these, uh, you're not even at, at, you know, you're not even running <laughs> towards first base. No, no. You're sitting in the dugout talking about the game. Right. Basically. And we could keep continuing the sports <laughs> analogy because that's what we do on Habit Helps. We use sports analogies. Any other thoughts on this practically um, on, on how to do this with someone you're discipling? The thing that strikes me that I don't do well, but I'm, it's becoming a higher priority, is to spend more time listening and watching um, because often people themselves are not aware of how they're falling short. And, and if so, if all I know is what they're telling me, um, there's a vast area of darkness out there that I have no idea what's going on. But so to, I think to ask more questions and listen and listen as they talk and, and, and to really get down to what they really believe and what's really on their heart and, and uh, what they really think about God. So you, you, there's a lot more questioning a lot more listening, a lot more watching how they handle situations, stuff like that. Uh, so you become a student of the disciple because the more you become a student of your student, the better <laughs> a disciple maker you'll become. It's a great point. And again, the that assumes association. Yeah, yeah. That, that assumes that you have more than kind of a counselor relationship where exactly. they come to you one hour to kind of check in and get in inventory. It's that you're with them. You're with them in life, and you see them react to people yeah. in their lives so that you really can supervise in that sense. Yeah, yeah. And they see you. Yeah. And and, uh, and that gets back to demonstration. Yeah, gets back to demonstration. Uh, the, the passage I'm thinking about right now is where Jesus is, is uh, set upon another time by the Pharisees, mm-hmm. and they, they say, show us a sign, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, that's all he's been doing. But <laughs> they say, show us a sign and, and all this. And, and after he, they have that little confrontation, Jesus says to the disciples, beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And, and he's able to use that immediate life situation to teach them a particular lesson that they're going to need because hypocrisy has always been the the thing that has killed Christians the most. Right. You know, pretending to be something that we're not. Yeah. Um, Literally killed Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> yes, it did. We were just in that in our acts. Great, so. great, great object lesson. Yeah. 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 That's good. And I, I think a, a real practical way to do this is if you're in a community group with someone and they're leading the study, leading a discussion, um, it's really helpful to just ask how that went and how did you think that went? 
yeah. right? If there's someone you're investing in. Yeah. And so there's kind of obvious times to do that, especially when you're in ministry like that. Yeah. And um, gosh, might've been a few years ago now, but our staff read The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle, which is really a book about thriving cultures in, mm-hmm. in business. And, uh, and, and what are the what are the key indicators of a thriving, healthy culture? And um, supervision is one of them, but specifically yeah. the idea of the after-action review. Yeah. That great organizations always look backwards yeah. to say, how did that go? Yeah. What could we do better? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so as much as you can, having the after-action review with people that you are investing in, whenever you're doing something together, say, how do you feel like that went? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think went well? What, what didn't? What could be improved? Um, is so critical because uh, you can't expect until you inspect yeah, and, exactly. and, and see what needs to improve. So, Yeah, and I think for community group leaders, you can do that every discussion because you can, if you watch the way the discussion goes, yeah. you can see when it's on track and what takes it off track. Right. And, and you can see there are certain people that they, they basically interject there and they, you know, they they interrupt the flow of thought with something completely off track, something moving the group, and and it takes the group off track. And in that case, you've got to talk to that person individually and say, you know, you need to be more aware of where the group is and what people are talking about, and not and consider others more important than yourself, rather than say, well, here's something I want to talk about. Or you've got the person who's just a hitchhiker; they don't say a word; they just sit there and don't mm-hmm. say anything for the whole time. And sometimes, and that just drains energy from the group because they're not participating, right? Like that's so, and that's a person you need to talk to. But right. just in terms of uh, supervision, has has application on at all levels, right? That's good. Any other thoughts on this as we I just start think, circling to land the plane? I just think, yeah, that that there is no disciple making without reproof and correction. Hmm. Um, and, and that's really what we're talking about here. There, you got to have encouragement, but you also have to have correction. Um, and if it's all one and not the other, you've got problems either way. Um, so speaking of planes, you got the two wings, and you need both. Mm-hmm. Uh, Look at that. That was, listeners, that was that was cultivated over years, <laughs> that ability to just pull that analogy out. <laughs> Truly a master of the sermon illustration over here. Well, that's good. Um, I think that gives some, some good pegs to, to hang things on and some practical next steps for people in, in your discipleship relationships. I encourage you... Um, you don't have to overcomplicate this um, if you're listening. Just think, what is one area where I can follow up with people that I want to see grow? Yeah. And then stick to it until you see them grow in that area. Yeah, yeah. And then you'll get clarity on the next thing yeah. once they're there. Um, but it's more about your persistence than the brilliance of your plan. That's right. That's right. And one of the great gift, spiritual gifts that's not mentioned in the Bible is the gift of nagging. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the loving nag. The loving nag, yes. That's good. Well, this has been helpful to me, Dad. Thanks. Good to be back with you. Good to be here. We'll be back again soon to finish up this book uh, and talk about reproduction, the fruit of discipleship, which is that you make disciples who make disciples. 
uh, and then we'll figure out what to talk about next. I'm sure there are other things we can talk about, Dad. We have no trouble talking. Oh, no trouble. So, listeners, thank you so much. Hope this has been helpful. And until next time, this has been Habit Helps. Habit Helps.